Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Top Docs Radio. Brought to you by Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia, a comprehensive wound resolution and UHMS accredited hyperbaric medicine practice with four offices to serve you. Find us on the web at www.hbomdga.com. Facebook and Twitter at HBOMDGA. Good afternoon, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on the Top Docs Radio Show. Thanks for making us a part of your day again today. Joined in studio, as we are every month, by our folks from the Medical Association of Georgia. Today, we've got the CEO of Medical Association of Georgia, Donald Pomisano Jr., with us here in the studio. Well, thank you so much, and we really do appreciate this ongoing opportunity. Yeah, well, it's been great uh, collaborating with uh, with MAG and, and t- helping to talk about the things that they're focused on. We're also going to be sitting down with Cindy Zeldin. She's the executive director for Georgians for a Healthy Future um, and has been there with them since 2009, I believe. So, uh, Cindy, thanks for taking some time to uh, sit down with us. Yeah, thanks for inviting me to join you today. Happy to be here. And one of the things that we've talked about in the past, Donald, is uh, getting into the uh, um, you know, some of the legislation around uh, the health insurance networks and, and more specifically here today for our conversation around the, the idea of narrow networks and how that affects us, um, whether we're talking about the healthcare exchanges, which Cindy will be sharing some information about uh, because it's clearly had an impact on those folks as well, um, but just general folks who have health insurance that they're trying to utilize. So you want to give us some background against uh, the narrow network, what that is, what that means, and then talk about Senate Bill 158 that is trying to address that. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Uh, when you look at, when you define narrow networks, uh, basically under the Affordable Care Act, or you can use other definitions, but essentially it's a network um, that is sufficient in the number and types of providers so that all services will be accessible without reasonable delay. That's generally what it is. Now, the question is, how do you practically implement that? And what we have seen, and what Senate Bill 158 tries to do is to address these narrow networks, whether they uh, be in, in the commercial market or what have you, in, in order to sit there and ensure that patients have access to their physicians. Because what's happening is that you're seeing more and more of the health insurance companies develop these networks, and what they will say is that it's based on trying to lower costs, and so they're trying to get rid of the higher cost providers and physicians out of the network, and they say this gives patients an opportunity to have um, choice. But what, what happens is that the patients don't realize, and it's very hard to follow, to see if your physician is in that network. And it's not uncommon for those networks to change monthly. So while you may sign a contract and you may get health insurance and your, pay, and your physician may be on the network on, you know, for that particular month, by next month that physician may not be on the network. So that's the real question, and that's what we're trying to address is how to ensure that patients have access to their physicians. And as it relates to the, the creation of these networks, you talked about the fact that they're trying to be able to provide, say, a low rate, for example. Um, but there's some challenges with that. Some, one of the things that we've talked about in the past is that, that just by their nature in terms of some of the patients that a given provider might be seeing, um, if a physician, say, well, maybe they're an orthopedist, for example, and they treat the, the worst trauma cases where you really get squished and you get, I get all kinds of hardware and everything uh, to put you back together again, that's obviously going to be a whole lot more of expensive physician, if you will, uh, than uh, someone who just 
takes care of uh, an occasional long bone break, for example, or some more neurologic diseases. You talked about, I think, multiple sclerosis is, is one that gets impacted Correct. by that. Correct. And what, you, what we have seen happen is that, especially patients with multiple sclerosis, um, they, they go to a neurologist, and sometimes you have the neurologist that specifically treats patients with MS. So then what happens is that these physicians have a higher cost as compared to other neurologists. So the, the, sometimes the plans will move that particular physician down to non-preferred non status. So what that basically means is that there's higher cost that comes out of the pockets of the patients in order to go see that physician. But then the plan will argue, no, we have enough neurologists on that particular plan. But in reality, they don't have a neurologist that is treating that particular condition, such as MS, because the physicians that have treated MS have now been moved down to non-preferred status. Mm -hmm. So what's happening is that you're impacting the access to care for these particular patients. I think that's kind of interesting that we would attach the focus in terms of evaluating how much does a provider cost uh, more to just kind of an aggregate across, I guess, their typical that you build. I don't know, maybe they use Medicare. I don't know how they do their evaluation, but last year you billed for 3,000 patients, you billed $1.5 million, and this other physician who treated 3,000 patients um, billed a million dollars, so that's where we're going. It, it, it would seem that you would focus on the diseases themselves that we're treating and the costs associated to the disease rather than necessarily the provider, but that's not the case. Th that's not what's happening at this point. Um, I mean, have you? what kind of feedback have you gotten from the physicians out there that as it affects them and their, their ability to be a part of a contract or not? Well, the physicians, they have concerns because they're, what they're noticing is that their particular patients that have these conditions are having problems accessing care. So when the patients come to their office, they're not able to actually render the treatment because then the patient realizes how much of an out-of-pocket expense is going to be put on them to see that particular physician. So the physicians are advocates for their patients, and that's what they're trying to do is to continue to advocate for their patients in order to make sure that they get this access to care. Um, and, and so when we talked about Senate Bill 158, what exactly are we driving at there to, to do to, you know, maybe address this issue? What we're trying to do is to ensure that there are some, um, some parameters that are set and, and can give the, the Commissioner of Insurance more authority in determining these networks and to ensure that um, you have the physicians um, that are needed to treat these particular patients and to give access to care for these patients. And that's the authority that we're trying to give more for the Commissioner of Insurance around these parameters. So it will maybe change how quickly you can make these changes or what kind of communication that you have to give to either, I would assume, both physician and patient if changes are going to be made to the network that would move this doctor in or out? Um, if I could jump in a little bit um, and just talk a little bit about um, not only this legislation, but a little bit around the, the context of network adequacy. So Donald mentioned earlier um, in, in sort of defining network adequacy that it is uh, a federal requirement that um, that plans are, are adequate in terms of number, geographic distribution, and types of providers. But what that actually looks like, what those standards are, and how they're enforced is really up to the states. And many states have very outdated um, laws or regulations around provider networks. Uh, and so there is a, a process going on right now at the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, and they're updating their model act. And they're looking very closely at 
um, at this network adequacy idea and what some of those standards might be, whether you need to have um, defined types of specialists, whether they need to be a certain number of miles from the patient, what those standards should be and how they might be enforced. And then states can either take pieces of that or adopt the whole law. But um, there really does need to be a good comprehensive look at um, what is adequate so that a patient who is purchasing a health insurance plan um, and for that plan, they are getting access to a range of covered benefits that are laid out that they actually can see a provider who can deliver those benefits. And so the networks need to be um, adequate and it needs to be timely. They, you know, it may not be okay for a patient to travel 60 miles for that type of care. So those standards just need to be, from our perspective as a consumer advocacy organization, those standards need to be a little clearer and there needs to be some teeth in them so that, and, and a little bit more transparency as well so that everybody knows what's going on and consumers can, and patients can access the care that they need. Well, if you would go ahead and, um, you know, share with the listener out there the Talk about the Georgians for a Healthy Future, what you're trying to do. Clearly, you talked yeah. about the fact that you advocate on behalf of the patient population out there and trying to help, as I understand, in, in going through the, the information that you provided ahead of the show, that uh, the, one of the big things you're trying to do is help people get enrolled in health insurance plans mm-hmm. that are now available. Um, obviously, this topic that we're talking about that relates to how health insurance define what is included in their plan and or is not is certainly a a big matter. And you you talked about before we went on the air that many of these folks who are signing up for health insurance plans know very little about them. This is their first time around, so they don't know what to ask. They don't know uh, what they don't know and what, you know, what should I be thinking about as it relates to my my new policy? So can you share a a little bit of information about the the Georgians for a Healthy Future and... um, and then we can kind of dig down a little deeper. Yeah, absolutely. So Georgians for a Healthy Future is a nonprofit consumer health advocacy organization. So we do a few things. We do outreach and education work. We have a lot of partnerships with community groups around the state, and we help to get information um, both uh, in terms of sort of consumer information about how to access healthcare as well as policy information um, out. We do a, a lot of coalition work with um, other patient advocacy groups and other groups that maybe sort of look at one slice of healthcare policy and sort of provide an kind of an overarching um, umbrella for some of that. And we engage in um, public policy advocacy around health issues as well. Um, over the past few years, we have expanded what we do, and we do more consumer assistance now. And that means um, we have a health insurance navigator on staff and a consumer education specialist on staff. And these um, two folks help consumers enroll in health insurance. So um, when uninsured consumers uh, want to find out about health insurance and enroll. And we have someone who can help walk them through that process and get them enrolled. And then we also have someone who can help with post-enrollment issues if um, they've signed up, but they don't know what a deductible is or a copay or how to make that first provider appointment or um, if they have a problem with with their provider network. So um, we do both policy work around healthcare issues and um, we do sort of direct work with consumers. So that's just a little bit of background about Georgians for a Healthy Future. On this past open enrollment period um, that ended in February, there were almost half a million people in Georgia who signed up for health insurance, and many of them haven't had health insurance before. Some have, but many have not. So this is really a big change, um, and it's a very exciting change uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, But one of the themes that we have seen is that some um, consumers really do not have 
are, are not given access to the information that they need at the time that they enroll to determine how adequate the provider network is. They're given a lot of information on the cost so they can determine what the premium of the plan might be. Um, they can you know, look at whether it's a platinum plan or a gold plan, and they can know whether it's you know, going to cover more or less. But there isn't anything that tells them, hey, this is a really narrow network. You're going to have a very limited choice of providers, or this is a very open network, and you're going to be able to see a wide range of providers. And the, the tool that consumers really generally have to try to figure that out is a provider directory. And the provider directory... <laughs> That's just a list of doctors. And yeah, and it's not only a list of doctors, but it's a, a, a very inaccurate list of doctors in most cases. And uh, consumers use this to, to try to make decisions, and it doesn't turn out to be in line with the choices that they actually have when they go to use their coverage in many cases. So that is something that has, um, you know, risen as an issue for us that um, that those need to be more accurate or there needs to be another way at the time that consumers enroll in health insurance to really determine um, what the size of the network is. But it's not just about the network size. There may be some consumers for whom a narrow network works and they are willing to pay less, but there are some who um, really need certain types of specialists, mm-hmm. and they they need to know, um, you know, what, what they're getting. And it would seem that, that you kind of need to know that when you're making your selection more than now that I'm enrolled. That's the That seems like there'd be a bummer time to find out that the person that you need is not, they don't have one of those in this group. Exactly. And we have heard that from some consumers who have enrolled in a plan, and then they've contacted the navigator or the person who helped them um, enroll in coverage saying, I chose this plan because I saw that this particular hospital or provider was in the provider directory and for that plan. So I thought that that meant that they were in network, which would be a good assumption for them to make if that was the information they were provided. And then they call to make an appointment and it turns out that they're not. So that's really an issue of of fairness for consumers who are doing everything right and working with the information they have. So there's a big transparency piece here. um, And so I see really two big pieces. One is the transparency so that everyone knows what they're getting. And then the other is the adequacy piece. And there shouldn't be any plan that can't deliver, that doesn't have the provider network to deliver the services that a consumer is paying for through their premiums. And, and when, we're, when we're talking about the healthcare exchanges, I mean, in the early going, I, I don't know. So it's, a, it's just an honest, ignorant question. Um, are we talking mostly low-income families that are, that are the groundswell of these early adopters of the, the healthcare exchanges? I know that there's some, you know, some middle-income type people that maybe their business that they were a part of didn't have a very robust policy or it was changed because you know, we know that some of the companies ahead of the, you know, right around the time that the implement, implementation was kicking in that they made changes or dropped their plans and forced some people into the exchanges. But are we talking mostly folks that are kind of on the low end of the economic scale or where did where did this half a million people fall right it's it's really more what i would call moderate to middle income because of the way that the tax credits are structured if your income is below poverty you're not eligible for tax credits which means you really wouldn't be able to afford much on the marketplace the idea there was that in in the design of the affordable care act was that the lowest income individuals and families would 
go into Medicaid. Um, and then the Supreme Court in 2012 ruled that the Medicaid expansion piece of the Affordable Care Act was optional for states. And Georgia mm -hmm. hasn't right. yet implemented that. Okay. So the lowest income people aren't really signing up for coverage because it's too expensive for them at this time. But it isn't. It, and so there's a range, but it is, I would still say, moderate income people. So people who are working and have some income, but who are not um, not at the poverty level, a little bit higher income than that. Well, the, 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 the reason for my question, and we've been talking with Donald Palmisano and, and Cindy Zeldin of the uh, Georgia uh, Georgians for a Healthy Future about uh, Senate Bill 158 and, and health care insurance plan transparency as it relates to the narrowness, if you will, and changing in that narrowness and who's included and who's out of the health insurance policies. But kind of the thrust of my question was more along the lines of kind of who are we talking about with regards to how would we get them educated? You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. this group that you're talking about would seemingly have things like internet and, and access to some digital ways of getting educated. So, I mean, how are we going about trying to get information to them? Um, and, and how are we interfacing with them, hopefully in the early going? What, what information is out there now for that person when they start to sign up and go through the process? I, I'm, I'm unfamiliar because fortunately for me so far, I've been insured through my wife's employer. That may change at some point, which time I may become a whole lot more educated <laughs> in the whole process. But uh, it seems as though those people that you're talking about would have, you know, uh, probably a computer, probably some internet might be able to get access to those sources of information beyond just your one or two people that you've talked about for that half a million people. Right. <laughs> so in terms of um, resources and level of education and, and capacity, it does, it will vary a lot because Georgia, if we're looking at Georgia, it's, it's a very geographically diverse state. So someone of, you know, middle income in the Atlanta area is probably going to have a lot more resources than someone of much more modest income in a rural part of the state. And so mm -hmm. they, they, you know, they may not have um, that internet access, but to kind of take a step back and, and answer your question, the need for more health insurance literacy is very high on our organizational radar right now. And I would say it's pretty high on the radar of a number of nonprofit organizations that serve, um, people who are either, you know, enrolling in health insurance or otherwise who serve people in their communities. Uh, in terms of some specific resources, um, Enroll America is a great place for those types of resources. They are a national organization. They have a presence here in Georgia, and they are laser focused on enrollment. That's the only thing that they um, talk about or engage in or do uh, is just getting people enrolled in health insurance. And they have... Um, put out a lot on health insurance literacy. And um, the enrollment assisters, health insurance navigators, are a wonderful um, resource for people in many parts of the state. And the way um, this, this works, if it's not familiar to you or to some mm -hmm. of the listeners, uh, through the Affordable Care Act, there was a part of that that created something called a navigator program. Mm -hmm. And um, nonprofits and other groups can apply for funds and, and grants were made, and um, the, these are almost entirely nonprofit organizations who are already doing work in the community, and they add sort of enrollment assistance to the work that they do. So they tend to be groups that are known and trusted locally, and they get someone who goes through federal and state training and becomes certified to help consumers enroll in health insurance. And my organization has one navigator on staff, but there are many throughout the state and mostly tied to organizations 
And they are a wonderful resource, um, not only for assistance with enrollment, but for understanding and learning about health insurance concepts, like what is a deductible, what is a copay, how do I figure out who's right. in my network. Uh, so th- that's, and you can go to, you know, if you're a consumer, you can go to healthcare.gov and there's a find local help tool and then you'll see um, who the certified navigators are in your area. So that's been a really big help, but um, there is still a greater need in terms of the type of information um, that that is on the sort of um that meets consumers where they are. That isn't, you know, written like a policy paper, but that is, right. you know, written in a very consumer-focused fashion to to help consumers understand um, their health insurance and use their health insurance in the best way for them. So, with those navigators that are part of those organizations, how are they interfacing with the public? I mean, clearly, you can go to, as you mentioned, I can log on to healthcare.gov and and find a local resource. But are they doing things like? Um, are they reaching out to like faith-based organizations and different things like that to say, "Hey, we're here," so that you can get questions answered? I'm just trying to see how they get in front of the people. Absolutely, that's that's what they do. They go to um, they they do presentations for churches, for community groups, um, town halls, festivals, uh, you know, anything like that where people gather. They they tend to to go and make themselves available. You can also um, simply call and make an appointment, and this service is is free for consumers. So it's, um, it's a good one there. You know, many people haven't heard of it probably because there's no sort of large scale advertising for it. Um, but it, um, but it is a, a great resource for consumers. And here's one of the challenges that when, when you start talking about the health insurance plans that are being offered on the exchange is that for instance, there is, um, uh, just yesterday, just playing on healthcare.gov, just kind of playing around with it and kind of seeing what was being offered. You've got over 89, you got about 89 plans to choose from. And then when you look at the tiered plans from bronze to silver to gold to platinum, let's say that you're looking at a silver plan, which is usually the set, usually the benchmark is for, for, for broad discussion. And so you've got 36 plans. So on that, you know, if you're a patient going in there looking for health insurance, and you're trying to figure out where your physician is if they're on certain plans themselves, and you're trying to look at the deductibles that are paid because as you go to a higher-tiered plan, right, that's right. going to be more out-of-pocket cost for the patient. Yeah. And so, especially on a bronze plan, you've got $13,000 deductible for a family. I mean, that's, that's a very – I mean, basically, it's a catastrophic plan is what it is. Mm-hmm. But you're going to have to go through on the bronze plans, 32 plans, to see if your physician is a, is a, is a part of that plan. Problem is that physician may not be a part of that plan, and you know, a few months after the fact, when you get it, just to address one other issue, going back to the directory discussion, a um, couple of challenges on that is that you know we obviously have documentation from around the state from the different plans where they have put out there to the patients that these physicians are in a particular network, and what we have seen is that in those particular places, um, sometimes the physicians are no longer there. In fact, the physician left the community five years ago, okay? So you would expect that directory to be update when that patient is actually choosing um, what, you know, what, what plan they're going to go with. Another problem that we found with it is that they list all the primary care physicians in the area. Well, some of them are hospitalists. So when you call to make an appointment <laughs> with a hospitalist, that's not what a hospitalist does. Right, right. And so that was another issue is that, but in terms of the network adequacy, an argument could be made, well, we have enough primary care physicians. 
But do they really? Some of these physicians don't even actually live in the community. Yeah, eight of those doctors may be the hospitalists that cover a hospital. Thank you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. And that's what we have seen is that these directories are not being updated as they should. And then the ones that are updated is when the physician gets removed from the plan. So now I go buy a plan, and then I receive a letter that says a month later, oh, sorry, your physician is out. You can go back to the website and go choose these other plans. You know, that... That's not what you purchased the contract. That's not why you contracted with for that health insurance plan. So if I'm the consumer in that situation, I mean, how do I tackle that? I mean, hopefully, some this will end up in the hands of some folks that are either going through this process or know somebody who is, and maybe they can kind of share this broadcast with them so that they can learn from a couple of the experts that are that are versed on on the subject. Are there questions up front? I mean, can you, is it the kind of thing where you can get on the phone with somebody? I would think it would be a bit of an arduous task. And, of course, if I said, hey, is Dr. Palmasano on the plan when I'm talking to a person and they were able to access a system, they should be able to tell me pretty quick. But, I mean, ab- absent that, or what, what can you do as a consumer as you're trying to choose? Well, here are a couple of things. One is to obviously call the plan. But I've actually had this happen to myself. When I called up the plan because of an issue of, of, of a physician no longer being on the network, Um, I got routed up to the home office, and I tried to leave a message, but it would not let me leave a message. And so finally, just because of the contacts that we have, I kind of called the local people. They made the calls up to that person. The person called me back two months later, and I asked her. I said, (laughs) said, well, how am I supposed to get in touch with you? Why don't you leave, you know, messages? Why can't I leave a message? And they said, we don't take messages on this line. And I said, well, then how am I actually supposed to appeal you know, my situation, looking, asking about my physician. What is the average person supposed to do that doesn't work in the healthcare realm, that doesn't under, you know, knows, knows how to, to call the right people in order to get something to happen? And, and their perspective was, well, we'll call you back. And I said, well, what, what happens if I'm in a meeting? And I don't pick up the phone at that very moment. So we'll call you back later. I said, well, it was two months. It was two months between <laughs> phone calls. But that's what's happening. So yeah. what we recommend is call us over at MAG. Let us know. It, it, in, in our website's www.mag.org. Call the commissioner of insurance office. And, 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 you know, they need to know these issues because these are the type of things that the commissioner of insurance can address when we're talking about network adequacy. These are the kind of conversations that we are going to be having. Um, Senate, Senator Dean Burke has been gracious enough to sponsor this bill. He, he has seen uh, some of the issues that have been, been dealing with on, on this health insurance front. That's Senate Bill 158. There's going to be a study committee. Cindy's on, on, on that committee. Also, our president, Dr. Manaj Shah, is on that committee to, to hear some of these issues and to discuss how do we start to talk about fixing network adequacy and to address some of these health insurance issues. Yeah, if I could just add on to that, on the front end, when a consumer is shopping for health insurance, and in particular, if there is a certain doctor that they want to insure is on their plan, um, they can try to call the plan. And we also recommend calling their doctor and asking them. Sometimes that you know, that does or doesn't work sometimes depending, but those are some things that that they can do. But unfortunately, it's not enough. And what, when consumers do find that they can't access the doctor that they need for services that they need, they end up either, um, you know, foregoing or going to a doctor that, you know, that, that isn't the most appropriate for them or going out of network. Yeah. And when they go that's out of network, really that's when, and that places consumers at major financial risk if they go out of network. So that's something that 
is very much on our radar as well. So we do encourage consumers to, as Donald said, to let the Department of Insurance know about these issues. If they're not hearing it from consumers, they're not going to know that it's happening. And so that's very important that consumers do that. And there are some mechanisms for filing a complaint or appeal with your insurance plan. And, um, you know, that we're trying to get that information out there so consumers have it as well. But these are all workarounds to a problem that should be addressed head on. Exactly. And in addition, we've, we've also had physicians call us up where uh, the patient was coming into their office. The physician checked that, that patient's plan to make sure that that physician was on the network, right. was in the network. The physician was told they were in the network. The patient, when they got in there, the patient was under the impression that they were in the network also. Then it came back later, and it turned out that the physician was not in the network, even though the physician's office had been told they were in network. And so just as Cindy, as Cindy mentioned, these are not the issues uh, that patients should have to be dealing with, especially you know, if you've got some sort of terminal condition or um, some sort of condition that requires extensive medical treatment. This is not what patients should be dealing with especially when the physicians have been advocating for them and the physicians are told one thing, and then it just begins this cycle and it adds more stress to that particular patient. From what I understand, Medical Association of Georgia and the Georgians for a Healthy Future have been collaborating to try to address this issue um, through you know, talking with the, the legislative folks here in, uh, in the Capitol about you know, issues like Senate Bill 158. Can you talk a little bit about what what's that process like? I mean, I, I would assume that you're having similar conversations with the with the representatives and the senators talking to them about these types of issues that are happening, so that they can then try to craft some changes into what's required for our insurers who are doing business here. Is that how's that flow? A- absolutely. Um, the the uh, Senator Dean Burke, um, who is a physician um, out of South Georgia, he is the one that is sponsoring the bill and is very well aware, obviously, of the issues that patients deal with, but also physicians and other health care providers. And so in the process, the bill was, um, was, was what we call dropped um, in the Senate. And a study committee was formed. And, you know, a study committee is always a good opportunity to really discuss the issues and to really kind of uh, ferret out the real issues and what are the problems and, and try to find some solutions. And I think that's what this study committee is really working towards, is to hear some more of the issues out there. Because what's also happening, and there's, there's other parts to that particular bill, such as all products clauses that are now showing up more so in Georgia. What those basically are is that an all products clause is when an insurance company goes to a physician and says, hey, you want to take this particular product, but we want you to take all of our products or else you're not going to be allowed to be in our network. And more often than not, uh, because of the market share that that insurer basically has in in that portion of the state and lack of competitive uh, business from other insurance companies, uh, what ends up happening is that the physician gets forced to take uh, certain products that may or may not be, um, uh, you know, work within their business model because the physicians, like everyone else, they're trying to run a business and to stay afloat, to be able to care for the patients in that area. And more often than not, what ends up happening is um, the, the, the health insurers will turn around and, and require them to take all products that, you know, or just reduce rates on the physicians. Um, and right. that, that happens without <laughs> much notice. Yeah, yep. With, I mean, I know our, our experience with that in, in our own medical practice is, is like that, whether we're talking, you know, Medicare, for example, uh, 
starting in a couple of weeks, your your rates will be 21% less than last year. Um, uh, you know, so it's it's certainly challenging to balance that from the physician, you know, side of things. T- talk about how how did the two organizations come to start trying to collaborate on on this issue? I would imagine there may be some some patients that must have contacted you all to say, hey, we're having some trouble. How did how did you all get involved with this process? Yeah, so this this issue percolated up for us as a consumer organization in a few different ways. Um, one is um, not just the direct interaction with consumers, but because of the collaborative work that we do with other nonprofit organizations around the state, we work with a number of organizations that provide that enrollment assistance I talked about earlier. And it was a theme that kept coming up that while many consumers are very happy with their coverage, and I want to make that clear, many consumers are very happy with the coverage that they have gotten and are getting the services that they need, but some are not um, for a lot of the reasons we talked about. And that that rose enough to, to, to a theme from, from what we were hearing. Um, so that was, that was pretty clear that some consumers enrolled in a plan thinking that a provider was in their network and it turned out not to be the case, or the network was far more narrow than, than they had realized when they signed up for the plan. Um, the other um, way in which this was put on our radar is that um, I, through um, something called the um, uh, Consumer Representative Program at the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, I participate there along with about 30 people from around the country who represent consumer organizations, and that entity is going through this um, this process of um, reviewing its model law on network adequacy, and the consumer representatives have been very involved in that because many of these groups around the country are seeing the same thing that we're seeing. So it was, it, it's was it been an issue for the past year or so that's been very high on our radar. And so when we learned about Senate Bill 158 that the Medical Association had put out, um, we, we got connected and, and said, you know, this is also a consumer issue and it's something that we're seeing and we want to make sure that... Um, you know, that, that that perspective is is included here and some of the thinking and recommendations that many of these groups around the country that work directly with consumers um, have, you know, could be really helpful and constructive in this process as we educate lawmakers and work with them to um, to improve the situation. So that's that's sort of how, how it came about a little bit. And um, we're really looking forward to the study committee. It's a really good opportunity to provide some education and increase awareness as Everyone knows the health insurance market and the health delivery market both are changing so rapidly, and you know, that has an impact on consumers too. And um, and so there's there's a lot of catching up to do here from the legislative and regulatory perspective. Now, in that process where it's going through committee and there's some discussions. Um, are there opportunities for, I know one of the things that we've talked about with the Medical Association of Georgia is how physicians around the state and members of the Medical Association of Georgia can, and we hope do, participate in providing some feedback and talking about their experience, talking about what they see and how uh, the variety of legislative measures affect their able ability to, to, to deliver care. But can how involved can people be, whether they're a member of MAG or or even some of the consumers that you're talking about advocating on behalf of, is there a possibility for them to begin to interface with some of these legislators who are in committee to talk about these issues or no? Uh, absolutely, there is. Um, when, the, when the hearing schedule gets set, 
uh, we will get that information out to our membership. And we encourage the physicians to come and testify at those hearings because, you know, really the legislators want to hear, especially from the physicians in their community, what are the challenges um, that they're facing? And also from the patients in their community. They want to hear what are, um, what are some of the challenges to this access to care because ultimately um, everybody wants to ensure patients have access to care. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as this you know, issue moves forward, it's always good to call your legislator, talk to them, mm-hmm. talk to them about the challenges that you're having because they want to hear from you. They want to hear from the people in their districts. Um, we provide you know, some of the information, but we get the information from our doctors, but we encourage them always to call up their, their local legislators. And so it, it's possible then for C.W. Hall, resident of Georgia, to see the schedule and actually go and potentially be able to at least speak on some, some level at, the, at those meetings. Is that right? A- absolutely. All, all these hearings are, are open to the public. Yeah, and there's usually at some point some opportunity for public comment. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I should also add that um, Georgians for Healthy Future, we have a place on our website, um, just what's called Share Your Story, and you can go in and enter your information there. And we try to collect consumer stories for those who want to share their stories if they've already gone through this and either it's been resolved or it hasn't and it's fired them up. We like to collect those stories so we can see what's happening and also you know, give people an opportunity if they want to, um, you know, to come and share their story before their legislators or just to simply call their legislator. It's very important, particularly for a study committee on, even though this has a very sort of everyday impact on patients and consumers, it can feel really technical when you talk about it. And so if it's something that you've experienced as a consumer and you share that and put it in really human terms, that can have a big impact on a process that um, you know, that, that might be a little bit under the radar in a study committee set up as compared to during the regular legislative session. It is certainly our hope that there will be some legislation that comes out of this that moves in the next legislative session. And just by way of an example from a patient's perspective, or just talking, if, as a patient, if, if I go to the hospital, and we've all had, you know, situations arise like this, and I go to the hospital, the hospital is in the network, um, I get some sort of imaging done, the imaging is read by the radiologist. All of a sudden, I get that bill from the radiologist, and it turns out that radiologist is not part of the network. So then all of a sudden, you know, I get, I'm not too happy because now I've, I've, I've done everything I thought I was supposed to do. I've checked the networks, but now I've got a radiologist that I did not know about that is not part of the network. So what, what, what patients don't understand sometimes is that the reason why that happened is because while the hospital may have been part of the network and the insurance company contracted with that particular hospital, the the insurance company has refused to contract with the radiologist. However, the radiologist is the the one that is reading the films (laughs) for that hospital. Right. So the hospital has to send it to that radiologist. And then what happens is that radiologist is out of network, so then the patient gets mad at the physician. When the physician themselves, and we've got, we've got examples of these, of where the, the, the physician has tried to become in network but was refused by the, hosp- I mean, by, the, by the insurance company. And so then the, the physician gets unfairly blamed as the cause of the problem when you've got to go back to the source. What do we see as a solution? I mean, do we, do we have some possible ways of doing it differently that can help some of that without just totally restructuring everything completely? It would seem like there would be some relatively simple measures we could we could take but maybe not i 
I'm not versed on the insurance side of things, other than it's challenging sometimes. Well, at the risk of bringing up a state that may not be the first state people in Georgia want to talk about, um, (laughs) New York actually recently um, passed pretty comprehensive legislation on network adequacy and also talked about this um, sort of surprise out-of-network bill, which is the situation that Donald just described when you think, you know, someone under the hospital is in network and they're not. Um, So there are some models out there and we'll see how that works it's just starting to be implemented so we're not alone in looking at this other states are looking at it um but in terms of just the the broader issue of network adequacy and some things that we could do we could look at um possibly quantitative standards to make sure that uh, a physician that is you know 90 miles out is not considered, you know, reasonable distance or something like that. So we might want to look at some travel times, quantitative standards uh, from that perspective, uh, geo mapping, geo um, distance standards, uh, time and distance standards. Um, You could do some language around, um, you know, a consumer not being made worse off if they have to go out of network because there is no one in their network at all who can deliver the service right. that is medically necessary. That would necessary seem to make some them. sense, right? So there are some things like that. And um, we certainly want to look at it in a in a cohesive and comprehensive way. And um, I would suggest looking at the some of the progress that the NAIC has made around reforming their model act might be a, a good place to start. That's a, it's a pretty systematic process that they've gone through over there. Uh, and just to make sure that, you know, we're, we're looking kind of holistically at the issue. And as uh, through the study committee process, I think a lot of that will come out as the legislators um, and, and those of us from outside the legislature um, who, who are going to sit on that committee really sit down and dig into it. And I'm sure Donald's got some other specific ideas, too. Yeah, and w- one of the things, uh, this is a great opportunity to kind of put out there how the system works so that patients and, and, and physicians and providers have a better understanding of what we see as, their, as, as, as an association. By way of an example, um, let's say health insurer contracts with a physician. Okay, Health insurer also contracts with the two hospitals in the area. The physician, uh, the, the, the physician then gets what we call a rating. So either they get a star, they get a check, whatever you want to call it. But if they get the star, that means that if the, if the patient goes to that particular physician, that means that that physician, um, you know, it, it will, for the patient will be a lower deductible, lower out-of-pocket cost, okay? So this whole rating system is a bit flawed because it's not based on, on you know, whether the f- physician – they tell us it's two things. One is that it's based on quality then based on cost. I have yet to this day met a physician that ever failed quality. I've met, however, I've met a lot of physicians that have failed cost. So what happened with one particular physician, we got the letters to back this up from one of the major insurance companies, where they called up the doctor and the doctor said, why am, wh- wh- why am I not getting this star rating? And they said, well, here's the deal. We want you to refer to this other hospital because this other hospital that you're referring to costs more. And the doctor said, well, both of them are in the network. And he's, they said, you know, we understand that, but we need you to refer to this other hospital. Now, the real question is, why is the physician being penalized for, you know, maybe a contract that the health insurer negotiated with that particular hospital, why is that now falling on the physician as part of their problem? So that's the challenge that you see mm-hmm. out there on a lot of this. So those are the kind of discussions, and that's what patients really need to have to hear and understand. And so when they go pick their insurance products and, and say, this is the kind of insurance plan that I want, that they really have an understanding of what does it actually really mean. Yeah, I mean, I, I clearly, you wouldn't have any idea. You, you sign up for insurance. I'm, that means that I want to be able to go to the doctor or go to the hospital and get care. And as far as you know, that's really it. I send my money in every month, and... 
I see if Dr. Smith is in the in the network on the list, and it says yes, so I go to see Dr. Smith. But clearly, there's all kinds of you know strands to the web behind that interaction. Is the doctor on staff or or, or on contract with this particular hospital or this particular plan? It's very 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 convoluted. And, <laughs> and you know, and, and it's what's really been neat is that just this 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 interview came at such a great time. Is that on the network adequacy issue and, and really examining these networks from the physician side. There hasn't really been a whole lot of, 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 of studies that have been written out on this. Well, the Robert Wood uh, Johnson Foundation, um, you know, paid for a study, uh, supported with, uh, from the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics, and it just came out this month, and it talks about the skinny or narrow networks and health insurance marketplace plans. And what they found was that 41% um, of the networks are considered small or extra small. And so what does small mean, right? Small means that less than 10% of, of the physicians, of the office-based physicians practicing in that area are in the network. So ex, uh, small is, that, that's, that means that 10 to 25% of the physicians are actually in the network. So think about that for a minute. 41% of the networks that are being, that these patients are being routed to and to look at don't actually have a majority of the physicians in the network that are needed to access their care. So, I mean, that's just, when you start looking at these networks, and this is the first study that actually looks at the physicians, because there's been a couple of studies out there as to hospitals, right? but uh, this is the first one that looks at physicians. So if I'm on the, on the exchanges, I, mean, I guess there's not some sort of a nomenclature that tells me this is a, this is a wide network, this is a narrow network, this is an extra, extra skinny latte network um, that, uh, that really could give me some measure of idea what I'm dealing with before, other than just thumbing through directories. Would right. And, th and that's something that we would really support is making that type of information available to consumers. One of the ways that the marketplace did help consumers um, distinguish between plans is this, the metal tiers setting up the platinum, the gold, the silver, and the bronze letter levels. And that gives consumers a signal um, that, you know, on a bronze plan, they're probably going to have, you know, either, you know, a very high deductible or, you know, n not as many services covered. It's just not going to be as robust of a plan as a platinum plan, but it doesn't tell you anything about the size or quality of the provider network. And that's another piece of information that consumers need, it's sort of another dimension that they need to make the decision that's best for them. Well, clearly it's, it's one of those topics that people need to begin to try to get educated about, to try to find out and ascertain when you're getting signed up through the exchanges or through some other means. Uh, if you're getting insurance that you need to try and determine how wide is my network? Are the physicians that I'm going to need to access actually available to me through this plan? Um, if you find out, you talked about the situation where maybe a few weeks after you sign up that you find out that, in fact, the, the directory has now changed and been updated and it's, it, it excludes a doctor that you thought you were going to have access to. I mean, do you have to wait for an open enrollment period again to be able to then change to one that would include them? Or in that kind of a situation, do you, are you able to say, hey, look, right here it showed that Dr. Smith was in the plan when I signed up. That's why I signed up. And so I should be able to make a switch. To uh, Is that possible, or do you have to wait for open enrollment periods? Unfortunately, you do have to wait for open enrollment period. Mm -hmm. there, there, there are special enrollment periods, um, but that is not... It's like life of changes the, and stuff like that. Yeah, right? and so that's that's something that could certainly be looked at. Well, something that I'm kind of curious about that I, I feel as though that people who, you know, clearly we talked about the fact, you, you mentioned that earlier that a half a million people in Georgia have become insured that 
apparently weren't before or maybe had uh, some kind of a different kind of policy if they had one. Um, but, but one of the things that I, it, as, you, as you go through your, your day and you have conversations, obviously the, the ACA and, and, and this particular type of topic of wh whether people were insured or not comes up and, and people are talking about their experiences with it. And one of the things that I think that is, at least that I've heard a lot from people that, that our family knows and, and as they've gone through exchanges is, is the not expecting the, the level of outlay that they have. And I would, I would expect that that probably falls into that range of people that you were talking about as you start to approach the upper end of, of the uh, tax credits, for example, that offset some of your, some of your exposure to cost. Um, it would seem that the, that's one of the things that we need to try to help people understand is that by all practical purposes, most of these plans are what we would call high deductible plans, unless you start getting up into, from what I could read anyway, about the different metal types is that as you approach platinum, that's more like what you would expect at, say, your empl an employer, like, say, where my wife works, yeah. so it works at Turner. So it's a very robust, you know, a nice yeah, robust plan. It's probably a gold, or a, gold right. or a platinum. Yeah, based on what I was reading, it would probably qualify for somewhere in that level. But, for example, the bronze plan, from what I understand, pays 60%. Of, of your healthcare costs. Well, that still leaves quite a bit of cost for me, the patient. And it would seem that from an education perspective, obviously knowing whether or not your plan is wide or narrow is a very important piece, but also understanding you have now uh, a mechanism, insurance policy, uh, that you can use to access care that you or your family may need. But having an understanding maybe hopefully before you actually have to go to access that care that you may actually have to try to do some some measure of financial planning to begin to take on that responsibility because I won't say you're, you're like you're uninsured because you're not. There's some measure, obviously 60% of your cost is being covered, but you go to the hospital, that's still a big bill at 40%. So from what I understand, you can use things like health savings accounts, for example, um, and those are things I don't know that a lot of people know about. I mean, are, in, in, as, a, as an advocacy group, are you educating people on that side of things at all, or is it really focused more on let's just try to get you insured now because that's obviously a big piece of it. If I didn't have insurance before and now I have someone, it's better than I was before. But, I mean, are we talking about those types of things too? Because it would seem that that's an important conversation yeah, to have. That's a great question. It, and from our perspective, it's important that people have the health insurance plan that's right for them. And, and that, you know, may not be the same for every single person. And that gets back to this question of health insurance literacy and that people are given the information and the tools that they need to understand the trade-offs and make those decisions that are best. And so some people want a, um, a bronze level plan. They maybe don't expect to, um, they don't, they maybe don't have a lot of health um, problems or health needs, and they really want to keep their premiums low, and that may be the best option for them mm -hmm. at this stage of their life. But certainly, it's important that that people understand, um, you know, what they're getting. I should say that the majority of people do enroll in a silver plan, and that is uh, for a couple of reasons. And one is that it's the benchmark plan, and it's also what something called cost sharing reductions are tied to which for people of more modest incomes, um, you can qualify for some financial assistance with deductibles and co-payments on top of the tax credits for premiums, but you have to enroll in a silver plan to do it. Mm -hmm. So that's another piece of information that 
for some people in that income range who qualify um, may. But but um, most people in Georgia who enrolled through the marketplace did enroll in a in a silver plan. But yeah, terms like deductibles, co-payments, how to how to pay your premium. Yeah. How, what's the difference between co-payment and co-insurance? These aren't deadlines what? you want to miss. They're not credit cards, okay? They <laughs> right. don't just call and gripe at you. They just you just get a letter saying, "Oh, well, thanks, we and, dropped your plan." And we're actually working. We, my organization, is working with a health insurance literacy expert to develop a um, a consumer workbook that consumers who've enrolled just enrolled in health insurance can get. That where they can like write down all the information about their plan, and it'll pro- provide them a lot of information along the way to help them understand these terms in plain language. So yeah, there's absolutely a need to get this type of information um, out in ways that that are digestible for regular people. I mean, let's face it, people, most people don't sit around all day and think about their health insurance plan, right? They think about it when they enroll, when they pay their premium and when they use coverage. And so, and and I think that, and that's fine. I mean, to to have at least, you know, but we want to make sure people have at least a basic understanding and that they're given the information and tools to make the best decision. Mm-hmm. Well, I, as, as happens always when we get here in the studio, we've, we've you know, churn through most of an hour. Before we have to go, I wanted to give you guys a, a chance to, to, you know, leave some final parting thoughts with, with folks, whether we're trying to talk to the physicians out there that may be listening, because clearly I know that the, now that we're working with Medical Association of Georgia, that a lot of physicians are tuning in and checking out what we're talking about, um, or some of our folks out there in the community that are not physicians, they're just uh, uh, residents in our community. What final thoughts you might have for them uh, that uh, whether it's a resource that they should go check out whatever that may be that we can pass that along Um, I would say this that um, you know for the physician community out there that if you're running into these situations with these narrow networks um, where you believe that um, these networks are being used to um, come between you and your patients and impact that relationship we need to know about that and, and, and because there are opportunities to address this issue um, and so the study committee is a perfect opportunity with Senator Dean Burke and the work that he's been doing on it. So please give us a call at, at www.mag.org. That's our website. And, um, and, and you can reach, um, you know, just look up my email. Send me an email. Uh, it's under our staff. My email is dpalmisano, P-A-L-M-I-S-A-N-O, at mag.org. And we, we, we need that information, and um, it, especially because it's important for your patients. What's the timeline on... Senate Bill 158. It's it's got to go through the, the 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 study committee through the summer, and then the General Assembly will convene um, in January, and it's 40 legislative days. So we've got some time, but the the more uh, the sooner <laughs> we be start here before we know it, man. Yeah. The sooner we can start collecting this, in, we, we've already got a lot of information, but we always want to hear the new stories out there, and then how can we help you with your patients? Right. But I also want to say it's been great working with Cindy on this. Um, it's an opportunity for our two organizations to come together on on a common issue that benefits uh, really the people of Georgia. Yeah, absolutely, and it's been great working with you as well. Uh, I think just the resource I might leave is just our website. It's healthyfutureGA.org. We have a section for consumers if that's of interest. Um, we are also revamping our website, so we'll have uh, this fall. Um, a lot more information and resources for consumers and on this particular issue as well. So, um, you know, look out for that later this fall. But in the meantime, um, feel free to check us out and reach out to us if you're a consumer and this is something that you're facing or if you're just interested in it or concerned or want to learn more. Um, we, we'd love to 
talk with you. Well, you know, make sure whether you're whether you're a patient uh, or family member uh, or a physician that's listening to us today, get involved uh, in these issues, uh, particularly when there's an opportunity to influence which direction they go. Clearly, in in discussing this one, uh, having a greater measure of transparency so that people can really make a very good, educated decision about the insurance policy that they're picking up. Because I mean, obviously, if I'm paying a monthly premium, there's cost with that, and we need it to do exactly what we thought it was going to do when we purchased it. Otherwise, it's just money wasted, truly, when it comes time to consume it. So if you're a physician that's going to be impacted by um, whether you're in a, in a network or not or um, what levels of reimbursement you, you may get, uh, clearly being involved with MAG and interfacing with them and taking the opportunity to get your voice heard is something that you want to take advantage of. And then for the folks out there in the community, obviously, groups like uh, Georgians for a Healthy Future are doing a good job in terms of helping people understand that, hey, you know, there are ways that you can go about getting some coverage and helping them do so. Half a million people is obviously very impressive that uh, now there's uh, that many more folks that hopefully have access to, to care and, and, uh, and, and a way to get seen by a doctor that can help them or their loved ones. So uh, make sure that you link up with them. The, uh, uh, both of the organizations are on Twitter. MAG uh, is at MAG1849, and um, the uh, Georgians for a Healthy Future are at Healthy Future GA. So uh, make sure that you link in with them. And if you've not done so already, make sure that you tie in with us on Twitter and Facebook. The The show is at Top Docs on BRX, both uh, on Facebook and Twitter. And we always try to follow all of our guests so we can uh, share their great information with you along the way. Um, Cindy, um, Cindy Zeldin, I really appreciate you taking some time. And, of course, Donald, always a pleasure to have you in the studio with us sharing information about the goings-on that you're working on with the Medical Association of Georgia. To everybody out there who uh, took some time to check out what these experts have to say this week, we really appreciate you. We hope you turn around and share it because this topic is clearly one that's important and could really have a significant impact on someone that you care a lot about, whether they're a friend or family. So we really hope you turn around and share. And also, if you haven't done so already, make sure on the right side of the show page, uh, link in with us and subscribe to the to the show. Uh, you can do it there, or you can go to iTunes under the Top Docs uh, Radio Show podcast and subscribe with us there, because every week we're bringing you some kind of uh, impressive health expert from the Atlanta area that can give you information on things that are going on behind uh, what actually helps how we uh, determines how we deliver care in our state to physicians and experts sharing great health information for you on things like cancer and a whole host of other health related topics. So, folks, I really, really appreciate you to Tom Cornegay for producing behind the scenes back there, manning the camera on the Periscope. And uh, <laughs> everybody out there, we really appreciate you making us a part of your day. We hope you make us uh, an appointment to see us same time, same place next week. We'll see you then. 